Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Coming up on the Speakeasy podcast, what happens after the exorcism? That is the story that gets told on the new horror show Outcast, premiering on Cinemax. We are talking to the president of Skybound Entertainment and executive producer of the show, David Alpert. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hello, welcome to the Speakeasy Podcast. I am Paul Vigna, joined today by David Alpert, who is the president of Skybound Entertainment. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, you might this might ring a bell. He is the executive producer of a little show on AMC called The Walking Dead, a show also called Fear The Walking Dead. And he is executive producer on a show that will be premiering on Cinemax on June 3rd called Outcast. David, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really glad to have you. Okay, so uh, I watched the the screeners of Outcast. I watched the first four episodes, so we can uh, we we can we can geek out on this one a little bit. Uh, how did this come to? How did this get on Cinemax? How did this become a production? This was a comic book from Robert Kirkman. How did this go from a comic book to a TV show? Well, you know, this this sort of started in a very interesting fashion. I was at the AFI luncheon uh, after season one of uh, Walking Dead, and we were there with uh, Sharon Tall, who runs Fox International. And Fox does our international distribution on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And so she said to us, she goes, what are, you, what are you guys working on next? Like, what do you, you know, you just do The Walking Dead, what's going to come next? And, you know, Robert very offhandedly says, you know, I have this idea to sort of explore what happens after an exorcism. And she goes, oh, what do you, what do you mean by that? What, what is that all about? And we had sort of talked about this and sort of worked out this world, which is, you know, The Walking Dead really starts after the normal zombie movie ends, right? right. So you have, you have the end of the world, everything ends, and then, you know, in these movies, it's not cured. It's not over. There's still zombieism in the world. There's still, you know, either your your hero survives or gets killed. But like, what happens the day after? And that's sort of the core of what makes Walking Dead. But you know, you know, Robert's like, look, you know, you watch The Exorcist. This this girl goes through this incredibly nasty and traumatic experience, and you know, at the end, they basically leave the movie, and it's a great movie. He goes, but they leave the movie with with her, and everything's better. Right, it's not right. better. Like she yeah. had a demon inside her. Her head spun around. She vomited green, you know, green pea soup all over the place. Like you know, life doesn't go back to normal the next day. What happens the day after? And w- and more importantly, where does that demon go? There was a demon that was living inside this girl. Like does he just go back to demon land, or does he like move on to the neighbor? And like, why did he choose this girl? And like all those questions that uh, that you have at the end of the movie or things that you could think about at the end of the movie, Robert goes, that felt like fertile ground for a show. That- and Sharon basically said, great, let's do it. And we're like, no, 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 wait, what do you mean let's do it? We're, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> we were just, this is what we're thinking about. She goes, no, I, she goes, that's, that's it. We're, we're doing this. We're going to go do this. And we said, uh, okay. And then it took a little while because, you know, we were busy getting the Walking Dead up and running and getting that going. And right. you know, Robert hadn't even started writing the comic book at that time. So uh, we were actually able to write the comic. Oh, I mean, Robert wrote the comic, uh, write the comic and the show at the same time. Yeah, that's that's kind of I didn't I didn't realize that that's kind of wild because, you know, I know obviously Walking Dead he did as a comic and then it became a, a TV show. 
But this one, I didn't realize that you were doing the TV show and the comic, developing them at the same time. Did that change the process at all? Did that change certain decisions maybe that went into the comic? Well, what was interesting was to see see what happens. You know, the comic, you know, process is really fast, right? Robert mm-hmm. you know, basically writes uh, a comic issue a month. Uh, and then, you know, once it's done, it's done. You know, there's no, you know, he, he basically hands it off to the artist, and, you know, Paul Zaseda, and Paul, you know, draws it, and then they move on to the next issue. You know, whereas, you know, we work on... We'll work on an episode for a long time. You know, we write it, we get notes, we rewrite it, we rewrite it, mm-hmm. we shoot, we sort of, you know, as we go on the scouting process, we'll be rewriting to location. You know, you shoot it, you know, the, the actors bring a lot of, and the directors bring a lot to it. So, you know, the from the original idea for the episode to the end of the episode, when it's gone through editing and post and all that, it's a very different thing, whereas the comic comes out pretty much exactly how Robert, you know, intended it. So the, the process... In the beginning, was a little bit um, was you know a little bit like they were doing simultaneous development. But you know, once Robert got to issue three of the comic, I mean, he was off and running. You know, and it took us much longer on, on the show side. But the beginning was a very interesting process when everything was a little bit more amorphous. Wow. So, so Outcast, what you follow on? So rather than a little girl named Reagan, it is a little boy named Carl bon- Kyle Barnes, played by Patrick Fuget. And when the show picks up, he is an adult. And it's because it's funny you talk about the Exorcist being a story of a little girl who was uh, possessed. So this show picks up. Kyle Barnes is an adult, but what you quickly realize is that the Exorcist, the the possession, really destroyed his life. Well, there's a lot of questions. You know, I mean, you look at any sort of uh, any sort of assault, right? And if you think about a possession, I mean, it's a really the violent assault, right? It's a, right. You're, you're essentially forcing your way into, it's like a psychic rape. I mean, it's an awful thing if you actually think about it, that there's another sentient being that's occupying space mm-hmm. inside of your, your being or your soul. I mean, it's a really, I mean, it's a horrible concept. And so, you know, afterwards, you know, you know, Robert really looked at like what happened, you know, to victims and especially like what someone who's the victim of an assault, like, you know, they, they often ask, like, you know, what happened? Why me? Why did why was I chosen right. for this specific thing? You know, especially if it's a crime that's, you know, considered random, right? Like, you know, what was it about Regan and the Exorcist? Like, there's no, you know, it wasn't like she was worshiping Satan. Like, she was just chosen. Just and there's girl, never yeah. really any consideration given to that, right? So, like, Kyle Barnes was, you know, his... Uh, his mother had been possessed when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and that really destroyed his life. Like, he's like, was it something I did? Like, does he, does he feel culpable, responsible? Like, what is his agency in that situation? And it's haunted him, and he's, he fears that he's the cause, right? So when we meet Kyle Barnes in the beginning of the show, he's cut himself off pretty much from everybody in his life because he thinks... He thinks that by him being around, he makes things worse for people. Right. That things bad things happen to those that he loves. So he's, in in a very noble sense, has cut himself off from the world. It doesn't seem noble when you meet him, but that's really the motivation there. He's trying to protect people for, because he thinks he's a bad influence. Yeah, and this show, and this is not really giving away any. Uh great spoilers folks but I'm, I'm going to share one tiny little thing that I thought was really wild uh, there is a scene where they're at a bowling alley and you guys manage to even make the, the machine that sets the bowling pins you manage to make that for a second even scary and spooky and I thought that was I thought that was quite a little uh, quite a trick 
How intent? I, yeah, go ahead, go. What? I was just gonna say, like, I, I find those machines terrifying. <laughs> like those things. Like I've, I've, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the suburbs, and you know, went bowling pretty much, you know, not every weekend, but a lot. Yeah. And I always found those machines terrifying. Don't you? Like, is there something really creepy about them, or is it just me? Uh, I, I think that now, after watching uh, the third episode of Outcast, I think that. Uh, how? Gotcha. Okay. Uh, let me ask you before we have to take a break. Before we take a break, I want to ask one more question. Uh, how intent were you upon making this a really spooky show, and what went what went into that? How do you how do you create a show that is truly scary? Well, I mean, the the the, the intent for us was to avoid um, cheap scares mm-hmm. and to avoid uh, you know boo scares and jump scares and things that are sort of you know, uh, tension for the sake of tension, right? What we really wanted was a creepy investigation, like, you know, treating this thing as if it was real, right? The the notion that there's these things out there that can invade you and take over your psyche and your soul, we find that terrifying, right? So, it, And the fact is that we have no idea, you know, how that's possible uh, makes it even more terrifying. So we looked at everything from the outbreak of new diseases, right, where you look at sort of mm-hmm. the introduction of AIDS and the way that people sort of had all these crazy theories about AIDS and what that might have been. You look at the way that people freaked out about SARS or Ebola or you know, all these things, and, you know, you say, okay, if there really was a, an epidemic, a scourge of, of possession, like how would people react right. to that? And it's a really, and so it makes an ordinary interactions. It makes it feel really creepy and spooky and scary. Yeah. And that, so we felt like that was a naturalistic approach that we wanted to take. All right. Uh, let's take a break uh, for this important message. And we will come back on the other side with David Alpert from Skybound. And we're talking about Outcast. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Paul Vigna with David Alpert, president of Skybound, executive producer of the new show Outcast, starting up on the 3rd of June on Cinemax. David, let's talk a little bit about uh, Reverend Anderson. Because of all the kind of things that go into this show to create the mood, just the visuals, um, the fact that you have this really foul-mouthed, hardcore, sort of almost tortured reverend adds a, a, a real element to the show. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about what went into creating that character? Well, you know, what we were looking to do was we were looking to create create a reverend that was not a caricature in any way, right? Someone who firmly and, you know, is devout, but is a rounded person, right? So and we sort of looked at who are the people that are drawn to to be a man of the cloth, like what does that mean in you know in a town like this? And you know, ultimately, what we what we what we thought was, you know, a guy like this. A lot of people in this town, it's it's a social position, right? So some people are drawn to it. And this is sort of the backstory that we came to for for Reverend Anderson, which was you know the notion that uh, you know he he went into it because not because he believed that it was more sort of like he loved he just liked helping people and he liked being social and sort of thought it was like a good thing. And then it was actually the exorcism of, of Kyle's mom 
that he felt like he comes face to face with real evil. And in, in an interesting way, that's what made him devout, right? So he had already been a reverend, but the thing that made him the reverend that he is today, that made him sort of this amazing crusading reverend, the one that really took, took you know, he believed in the Bible, but the thing that he now believes is literally the Word of God is the exorcism of Kyle's mom. And so this connects him to Kyle in a deep and meaningful way that was uh, important and impassioned for him. And so they have a father and son-esque bond, and that we see them go through it, even though they haven't spoken in years, because Kyle has cut himself off from everybody. But the, the, we really want to go for something that you haven't seen on TV. He's not just, he's not foul-mouthed and hard-drinking just just, cause. just to be because that. he's, right, he's right. a normal guy. You know, right. He's a normal guy. Right. And the the actor that plays him, Philip Glenister, he's really strong in the role. I mean, he really just makes it. Well, Phil is such, Phil is such a fantastic actor, and he's really able to sort of uh, inhabit this role. And what we love is that he actually he brought so much personality and, and verve to it. And, you know, he, he's got these moments where it's like when he, when he starts preaching, it's like, like, I just kind of want to sit back and, yeah. and watch and listen. And it's sort of like, I'm like, oh, okay, I understand. I understand why people want to go go to church and listen to someone give a sermon for a few hours because, like, he's he's captivating. I'd, I'd go to his church. Yeah, yeah I'd go to his church. Uh, let, let's let's take a step back for a second. I want to ask you about, because you're in, a, I think, a really good position to, to opine on this topic. The the way comic books have evolved into becoming such a, a big source material for so much going on in movies and television, what, how, how has that happened? Why is that happened? Why are comic books now such a big deal uh, on television and in the movies? Well, you know, I think there's been a couple things that have happened, and I think they're, they're different in film and television. You know, I think, I think in, in an interesting way, uh, TV has, you know, we've, we, everybody's talking about the golden age of television, right? That we're in this new right. golden age where there's all these new platforms making all this new, these new shows. You know, comics are this really great medium that has, you know, you know, decades-long uh, history of making episodic content, right? So these is really great uh, adult-oriented episodic content that's been being made for the last, you know, 50, 60 years that has really been sort of untapped. So I think in, a, in, in an interesting way... TV moved towards doing what adult-oriented comics were already doing. And I'm saying adult, not in a, uh, in a second. Curian terror, right, right. Yeah, you know, like, you know, like Walking Dead doesn't really fit on network television or traditional sense of network television. You know, Preacher doesn't fit on, you know, on network television. Right. You see, you see, like, these shows that are coming out. Outcast is another example. You can't do that show on network, so it's... But these have been, there have been comics like this for, you know, forever. Um, you know, in film, I think in a large part, so much of it has been driven by the fact that you can actually, you know, do special effects in a reasonable price, right? So you have these sure. worlds and universes, um, and maybe not reasonable is the wrong word, but the, you can do these things, right? I remember seeing Superman in the movie theater, and the whole campaign was, you'll believe a man can fly. Right now, like, we right. want to believe not only can a man fly, we want to believe that he can blow up the world, that he can you know, shoot laser beams out of his eyes. Like, we have to get all those things, right, too. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, you know, Superman was really sold just off the fact that, oh, yeah, a guy, he's going to fly and it's going to look good. Right. That was, like, enough to sort of build a movie around. I feel like it's a little different now. And, the, you know, you look at the idea that you can do Guardians of the Galaxy, 
right, that you have a movie set in space with all these crazy aliens and crazy powers and different space flight, like, you know, you need a certain level of technical competency to sort of make that, to bring that to life. Right. And it, but some, yeah, you're definitely right. I think you're, de- you're, you're absolutely right on all of that. Um, something interesting, Outcast, uh, you know, pretty, can be violent and bloody, but no more violent or bloody than The Walking Dead. Uh, a lot more cursing than on The Walking Dead. But I think that's probably because you knew where it was going. How do you, can you take, my, my point is, can you, some of these shows, do the, some of the decisions change depending upon what network you're on? Well, I mean, you know, we we have, you know, it's on the margins is what I would say, yeah. right? You know, uh, you know, I would never set out to make a booby show or a show that's like, being driven by the showing of boobs or yeah. with this nudity, right? So, you know, there'll be, you know, we'll have, we'll have sex scenes where there'll be, you know, there'll be nudity. And, you know, just the same way that we would do on, you know, an, an ad-driven network, you know, there'll be, we'll do it, but we never really wanted to feel gratuitous. You know, I've, I've watched a lot of shows where all of a sudden you're in the middle of a, a, a detailed conversation and all of a sudden there's just, there's two lesbians going at it naked in the background and you're like... I like yes, okay like that's okay that's that's cool but why like why is that like right. what is happening there and I, I feel like you know there was a uh, you know we're never driven by the the idea of being gratuitous you know we like on the margins if there's a reason why uh, something should happen you know we, we like it you know there, I always I always remember the thing that I always go to is uh, did you ever see the movie Eastern Promises no. So uh, David Cronenberg did this Viggo Mortensen movie called Eastern Promises, and there's a you know, Viggo Mortensen plays this uh, Russian gangster. Oh, it's a great movie. Hmm. And there's a scene where he gets attacked. He's in a bathhouse, in a Russian bathhouse, and he gets attacked by these gangsters. And, like, there's a bloody, awful knife fight in this, like, sauna. And um, he gets naked. And yeah. I remember reading an interview with, with Viggo, and they're like, why? They're like, why did you get naked he's like well i'm in a bathhouse wearing a towel it would be ridiculous if i'm trying to keep my towel on while someone's trying to stab me yeah and i was like okay that makes sense right like that's a legitimate story driven reason to get to see nudity as opposed to something being driven by you know hey we want to show some boo right hey we want to show some so, so show some butt so like for us we try to do it like what does the story want um and then it's like you know what can we get away right. with on this particular right. platform? Well, uh, think, of, think of this. On Walking Dead, you have a character named Negan that in the comics – and actually, I have avoided the comics. So I don't want to have the spoilers, but I, I, I know – You're making a giant mistake. Really? I tell you, the, the comics are amazing, and it, you, really, you really should be reading the comics. Yeah, but I but – I, see, I won't – I will not – and this is not to my question, but I won't read in the comics past where the TV show is because I came into the TV show first and I love the TV show and I don't want the comics to spoil what I see on television. I want to enjoy the TV show first. That's that's my decision there. Also, because I do the recaps, I don't want the comic books to color what I write about the TV show. So that's kind of been my, my decision on that one. Look, everybody's entitled to, to make their own decision, however wrong you may be. I mean, that's that's quite all right. You're, <laughs> but then I'll catch up. I'll catch up later on the comics. So it's not like I'm, you know, I'm still I'm still patronizing the comics, David. Just later. I do it. Later. <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm teased. I'm yeah, teased. I know. I know. I know. 
you do, yeah. you do you do whatever works. But I, I actually feel like you know the comics are you know so far ahead. Right. Um, yeah. Know, comics are probably about five seasons ahead of where we'll be on the show. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I actually, when I go back and watch the show, it, I'm like, oh, I remember reading that comic like four years ago. And you know, we always we always zig and zag on the show, so right. it's a little bit. It's it's never exactly the way it was done in the comics. So right. Like, right. We, I kind of like that. Yeah. But my question was, so so Negan, I know Negan in the comics curses a lot. You obviously on AMC can't have him curse all that much. But on Outcast on Cinemax, you have a preacher that you can stuff as many curse words as you want into his mouth, really. So how do you how do you walk that line? How are you walking the line about Negan being such a foul mouthed character in the comics? But I'm sure he has some kind of a pitch count on AMC. Well, yeah, we get uh, we get we get four. Um, we get four on on AMC. Um, Is that the the network tells you that? Yeah, we get we have a, we have a standards and practices department. Yeah, and uh, they you know, they give us you know sort of what we can say and what we can't say, and you know we you know we, and we challenge and we try to push for things. Right. But you know there's it's it's part of it's part of the business. You know the good news is we get as uh, as many as we want. <laughs> Um, so that's exciting. Um, I, know, I gotta yeah. tell you, I don't know if we get either of those on this podcast, so there might be some, uh, there might be some beeps. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah, exciting. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I just assumed that we're, we're, we're podcasts. I figured that like I could go full frontal here. Like I just figured this is, you know, it's, it's, it's the wild world podcast. It's a family podcast. It's a family podcast. It's a family podcast. Talking about demons and zombies. I'm right, in. Right, I yeah. love it. Um, so the uh, I'm sorry I, I got I got no it's okay up there you know, so like look, we we struggle Negan Negan look I'll, I'm not gonna lie like t- telling telling a character who who drops the f bomb you know probably every other word and right. doing it without saying that word and now you have me all conscious about what I'm saying or not saying um, don't you know, be don't be it's it's a hard it's a hard uh, it's a hard line to walk for sure right so. But I think that, uh, you know, uh, the writers under Scott Gimple have really done an amazing job. And honestly, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is just one of the great actors of our time. Like, I, in a weird way, I don't, I don't miss it. Like, when he, when he, like, he says the stuff, like, it just, I'm so wrapped up in, right. uh, and I'm so, I'm so terrified by the things that he does. Um, and he's such a creepy, you know, menacing presence that it's like, you know, uh, I, I just get caught up in that, and then afterwards I'm like, oh, he actually, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say the F word like at all, huh? Okay, and then it's more after the fact, but in the moment I'm sort of just entirely wrapped up. Yeah, let's take one more break, another message here, and then we're going to come back. Uh, I want to get a little bit into into David Alpert, the man. Uh oh, that sounds dangerous. It does. We'll be back after this. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Back to the Speakeasy podcast. Paul Vigna with David Alpert, who is the president of Skybound Entertainment, executive producer on Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and Outcast. And David, you know, I just I looked at your bio and I wanted to try to get some background information on you. So I saw that you were honors graduate at Harvard, NYU Law. How are you doing comic books? <laughs> how does that? How do you? How do you go from those places to being involved in in a and a company that produces comic books and TV shows about comic books. 
I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's sort of like I don't know how you get any higher. I mean, this, I feel like this is the thing that everybody aspires to. No, is there something else people aspire to? Like, is, this is well, it. Well, right? I, I, yeah, I guess we want to know how you got there. How did you manage well, it? How did you, you know, manage the feet? <laughs> well, you know, for me, I, you know, I've been a comic book fan my entire life. I grew up reading comics. It was. Uh, you know, comics have been really sort of a you know one of the first things that I learned and loved to read, and I've always loved you know characters. And I started in the Marvel and DC world uh, as a kid, and then got into independent comics, and that's been sort of where I've stayed the last uh, last few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I I love them. You know, the truth is, if you could tell if you could tell twelve year old me that you're you know for a living you're going to have to read comics and watch television and play video games, like. I think my head might have exploded, and uh, I kind of feel the same way now. I have to tell you, like you know, I come home, you know, on the weekend, and I'm like, you know, I say to my wife, my like, Connie, I got a lot of work to do this weekend. She goes, Oh, what do you have to do? I'm like, I have to read all these comics, and I have to, you know, I have to watch all these episodes yeah. of television. <laughs> and she's just like, Oh, I feel so bad for you. That sounds so difficult. You know, it's like, so my life, I, I love my life. I, I, you know, I love doing. You know, what's the old line? Uh, make your your avocation, evocation, the same thing. And right. It's like, uh, you know, this is my, my passion is, you know, I love stories and I love, uh, you know, I love fantasy and science fiction and horror and I love genre and I'm getting to work in a space where I get to tell those stories and I get to work with those storytellers and it's it's great. I mean, so this is, in a weird way, the, the path that I took that, you know, taught me business and taught me law and taught me all that stuff has allowed me to get back to the things that I that I truly love. Now, you you knew Robert Kirkman before you guys started Skybound, right? Oh yeah, I, I met I met Robert uh, I met Robert back about sixteen years ago, so mm-hmm. uh, at a comic con in Chicago. Oh, I, that was my next question: was how did you guys meet? Yeah, I, I met him at a comic con in Chicago, um, and I, I don't know if you ever read his his first sort of you know uh, comic that got any notice was a comic called Battle Pope. Um, yes, I did. I, you, yeah, I did. Have you, have you read it? I've some of it. It's a, I mean, it's a wacky, wacky book. And, right. Uh, I'm, you know, he was working this booth, and you know, I just, I didn't know who he was because, I mean, I, I didn't know that he, he had published this book. I just thought he was a booth worker, mm-hmm. and uh, I was talking to him, and you know, we struck up a conversation. And he was pitching me this book, Battle Pope, and I read it. And I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Um, and then I found out later that, you know, the guy who sold me the book was actually the guy who wrote the book and published the book. You know, I, I had assumed at the time that his company was a, you know, much bigger operation than, you know, him in his basement. Um, but, you know, that was, that was sort of the way we met. And I, I, I love that book and I sort of got a really good vibe from him. And then, um, Battle Pub was actually the first thing that we produced together. We had done, um, an animated series for, uh, for spike.com. Oh. Um, and it actually ended up becoming the, the number one uh, number one series on Spike.com until uh, until they introduced uh, Tits of the Day, and uh, yeah, that Tits of the Day knocked us off of, of our lofty perch. You can imagine why. So were, were I you? I can't imagine. You can't argue with that. No, you can't argue. You can't listen. People will speak, right? Uh, exactly. So were you there looking for properties to buy? Were you already involved in in the business of of comic books? Yeah, I mean, I had this. I had this, you know, my business thesis was that, um, that, you know, comic books, I mean, this is, you know, 2000, you know, 2000 was, I felt that comic books were a great untapped storytelling medium and that the next generation of storytellers from film and TV and games were all going to come from the comic book world. And, you know, at the time, you know, it, at the time it seemed preposterous. I mean, today it sounds, you know, given the success of everything from, you know, 
Batman and Superman, right. and, you know, those, you know, the Marvel movies, like it seems like an obvious thing, but back then, honestly, I was the, I was the only guy from film and TV, like walking around those conventions. Wow. You, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I went to comic con here in New York, maybe two years ago. And before that, I had not been to a comic book convention since I was a kid, you know? Uh-huh. And I mean, the last one I, before this comic con, the last one I had been to, it was, you know, in a, a nondescript conference room in a nondescript hotel, and there might have been 300 people there who were actually just buying and selling comic books. Like, that was yep. all comic book conventions were when I was growing up. And, oh, right. and now they are, it was, it, was sho- it was actually overwhelming. It was shocking to me how big the whole culture has gotten. Well, you know, as as you know, when uh, when I was going to those same conventions and you know in the basement of the Holiday Inn, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it was you know they were you know comics were a ghetto, like they were sort yes. of uh, they were a ghetto subculture. It wasn't considered culture yet. Um, and now when I go to San Diego, I mean, I knew we hit a weird turning point, right? Because I've been going to San Diego for twenty plus years, mm-hmm. you know. W- w- we had a weird point when all of a sudden they had the office was showing up at San Diego. And I'm like, okay. Like, you know, like you have Hercules and Xena show up. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Right, like, right. And, you know, it's not based off of a comic, but there's like a, an affinity there. Um, you know, Game of Thrones makes sense. You know, right. True Blood makes sense. There's like an affinity. But you're like the office. I'm like, why is the office here? And then I realized, like, okay, it's just, it's just, it, there's a moment where it's switched from being, it's not just comics. Comics are part they're not a subculture, they're pop culture now. Right. And that sort of, that mainstreaming of a, sub, of a subculture, I think is sort of what's happened, right? So now you go there and there's everything from video game companies and film companies and TV companies and toy companies. Like everybody wants to be part of this because it's seen as mainstream culture versus when, you know, when we went, you and I, like, you know, it was, I mean, it was, you know, I, you didn't tell everybody at school that you were going to a comic convention on the weekend because it you know, wasn't think, considered cool yeah, in any way. I don't think you told anybody. You told yeah, your other exactly. geek friends, right? Yeah, the, the real the the thing that immediately tipped me off that this world had changed was the fact that there were girls there. Oh yeah, like I mean, San that, Diego now is almost fifty fifty. That blew me away. That I'm not kidding you. That absolutely. Look, I, I I love my wife. It's not that you know. I was just comparing it to what you know. I was blown away that there were actually girls at these things, and that this could actually. If you, I started getting mad because I thought, wow, if I was a young guy now, like now the things I actually used to like that girls hated about me, now that's now that's cool. I felt I felt right. a little cheated. No. Isn't that always the case, though? Right, right. I mean, yeah. It's, just, you know, it's, it's, it's always, oh, oh now it's cool. Great. Right. Great. Now it's you cool. Know, right, all right. My, all my flaws now would be advantages. Great. Right. You know how many things I had to work on to get past those flaws, and now it's okay? So uh, it was a little totally. yeah, it was a little bizarre. Uh, let me ask you about... Anyway, I, I, I was going to go off yeah. on culture today. Just, just the notion today that, like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kids in our office here, and like, it's totally socially acceptable to do online dating. And like, right. I'm just like, right. like really? Like, you just go on a marketplace and you're like, you're checking out. I, I, I don't get it. Kids these days, yeah, these kids. Kids. <laughs> and the kids in there, they're they're mobile phones. <laughs> Seriously. So let me ask you about Skybound now, because get back to your business. You guys have. Uh, obviously, you have book properties, comic books, you have TV, you have games. Uh, how 
how does all that work now? I mean, is it all sort of interrelated? Are they really separate lines? Do you like you know you talked about Outcast being something that you developed as a TV show and the comic at the same time? How do you manage all that now? Well, you know, I mean, look, I, I think I think the core there's two core premises of what Skybound's all about, right? Skybound believes firmly that having a creator drive the property is the key to success, right? So we want there to be a Robert at the center of The Walking Dead. Uh, we want we have a property called Superfight that's been a huge success for us, and we want Darren to be at the center of Superfight, mm-hmm. right? We want there to be a strong, visioned, far-reaching creator at the center of it. So that's, that's premise one. The second premise is the distinction between product lines is arbitrary um, and detrimental to, to the brand. So for us, you know, growing up, if you, watched a, if you read a comic or read a book and watched the movie and then played a game, those were all entirely separate experiences. Right. And that, to me, is a problem, right? Because the, the, what I would call the 80s version of, you know, you watch Indiana Jones and then you go play the Indiana Jones game where you're playing the exact same thing that you just saw. It's never going to be cool. It's always going to feel derivative. It feels like, you know, what I think the studios call it, they call it ancillary, right? And mm-hmm. ancillary to me is exactly the wrong way to look at these things. We look at every aspect of what we're doing as primary. So the comic book is primary. The TV mm-hmm. show is primary. Our video game is primary. Because you never know what's the onboarding point for a member of the, a member of the audience, mm-hmm. right? So your first touch point was the TV show, right? right? So right. If the TV show felt in some way derivative or that you had to have knowledge of the world before coming to the show, it would be a turnoff to you, not just to the show, but to the entire brand. Mm-hmm. So for us, we look at that and say, okay, so each thing needs to be accessible, relatable, and in its own way, it needs to be a complete thing unto itself, right? So it needs to be, yes, true to the brand, but you need to have a complete experience just playing the game or just reading the comic or just right. watching the show. And, you know, in fact, our audiences, you know, we have giant audiences in our, in our video games, in our comic books, in our show, <clears throat> but those, those audiences, um, some of them never cross over. Hopefully a lot of them do, and they get a more holistic sense uh, of the brand. By the way, you should read the comic, just put it on the side. Um, but beyond that, we really look at those are independent things, so you have to treat all of them as primary. Right. I, I'm, I'm reading the comics. I am, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not moving ahead of where the TV show is. So. because I love. I yeah, because right. I love. Uh, do some... Do some stories work better in one medium or another, and how do you determine what that is? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I think I think the other the other thing that we have to realize is you can't make everything mm-hmm. everything right. Like, not every property is right for for every medium. So what we what we do, and this is sort of you know, uh, we, we, we there, there's a power to know. So I often come up with ideas, or I find ideas, and then I'll pitch them internally at Skybound. I'll go to the comics group and say, hey, hey, I found this great idea. I think it's going to be a really cool comic. And they'll tell me why it's not. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm technically their boss, so I could say to them, you must publish this as a comic. And they'll right. do it, but it wouldn't work. And so for me, you know, I really trust our guys in our film and TV group. I trust our guys in the interactive group. I trust our guys in the live events group. I trust those, those people because they have knowledge of what works in that medium and what doesn't. So 
you know, even if I find a great TV property, and I, and I have, that then says, hey, this would be a really great comic. If the comic group says no, I, I can't go there. So it has to have some sort of authentic reason for being in that medium. And, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what that thing is and if there is that thing there. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, David Alpert, president at Skybound Entertainment, executive producer of the new show on Cinemax called Outcast, starts on June 3rd. Also, of course, executive producer of Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Talk soon. Uh, That is it for the Speakeasy podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.